Well, I know something about you. And you go, Casey, how do you know that? Well, it's something I know about me. And so, well, I'm projecting something on you. I've told you this before. I don't like to, I, I like to be in control. You know, I've told you that I like to be in control. And I think many of us would say we like to be in control. Um, in fact, I don't like to lose to control. And reality is, I don't like to be controlled. Now, maybe you're like that. I don't, you don't like to be controlled. And here's the reason I don't like to be controlled. To be controlled means I've lost control. It means I'm not in control anymore. And, and you may go, Casey, now, I, uh, I'm okay in not being in control. I don't have to be in control. And you may be right, but um, think about this. You will at least have control of who is in control of you. Am I not right? I mean, think about that. Otherwise, you're going to find a new job because you don't like what they're doing to control you. You're going to find a new job. If you don't like the way that what's happening in your kids, in your school, you're going to find a new school. This is what we do. We, we, if you don't like the friends you're around and they're being too controlling, you're going to find a new group of friends because we're not going to be controlled. And, and here's something that, that's ironic. The things that I try to control are more often, and actually most often, the things that cause the most stress in my life. I mean, isn't that the nature of it? I mean, think about that for a second. Think about your finances. The, 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 are they creating the stress in your life because you're trying to exercise the most control and you're trying to control something that's maybe outside of your control? Or, or what about your son or daughter? What about that relationship? Is that, is that relationship stressful because their behavior and what they're doing and how it impacts you is outside of your control? Isn't this stress because you're not in control? What about your marriage? What about your job or your career? The stress likely comes because we're not in control. And, and this is a big and, okay? This is a big and. Those who take control when we don't want them to become our enemy. Am I not right? Now you go, Casey, enemy is a big word. It's a strong word. I know it's a strong word for this. And I know you don't think your spouse is your enemy. I, don't think, I know you don't think your kids are your enemy. You, well, you may think your boss is your enemy, but that's a different story right now. Okay, let's get back to the point. But don't you want to fight when someone you don't want to have control takes control? This is why we verbally lash out. This is why sometimes we physically lash out when someone opposes us and, and they try to take control of something that we want or we think or we believe we want or we desire to have control of. Maybe they take control of a meeting, a project at work, and you lash out. Maybe they take control of something that you want to have your control over and they take control. So you oppose them. You oppose the person in the HOA, in the PTA, or any other organization that you're part of that ends with an A, and you fight them. Teenagers, this is why many of you verbally oppose your parents or your mom or your dad because they are the enemy of you having control. 
See, we fight against those in whom we don't trust in their control over us. And ultimately, this is what, what war is. That's a war. I mean, right now, fighting an enemy who you don't want to have control of, but they want to have control over you. I mean, this is what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Russia wants to have control of Ukraine, and Ukraine is fighting for them not to have control because they're fighting for their freedom to be in control of whatever they want. And that's what happens. We fight for, we fight for our freedom to be in control. And war is to say, I'd rather die than you or them have control. So in our relationship wars, our relationship wars are about winning control. That's what our relationship wars are. It's about who's going to win control. And I've got to win control. Otherwise, what I do is I surrender control. And surrender is a difficult situation. Surrender means that I lose. And we don't like to lose. That's why we don't like to lose control. See, to surrender means that one must submit to the other's authority and control. Not wanting to surrender control can turn close relationships into enemies because we're fighting for what we want control of. And this is why many people see God as their enemy because God says he is Lord and will have ultimate control. And people don't want God to have control because that means they've lost control. They're not going to surrender a relationship to God. They're not going to surrender what they believe they own to God, like their finances or their possessions, because they want control of that. They're not going to surrender their lives to God because my life is all within my control. They would, they're saying to God, I would rather die than you have control. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're watching online and that's you. Maybe there's an area in your life and maybe, maybe there's an area in your life today where you don't want God to have control. Maybe there's an area of your life that you're not surrendering to God's control because you do not want to lose control. Now, more on that in a moment. Woo, kind of escalated quickly, didn't it? If you're new with us, um, I'm so grateful that you're here and uh, we get to share this time together with you. And if you're new with us online, we're so grateful to share this time together with you. I, I just want you to know if you're new with us, um, we have a gift for you at the end of the service. We'd love to give that to you. For those in the room, if you'll visit our welcome table in the back, Miss Alicia will be back there and she'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. And if you take, think about it, will you fill out the connect card that's located in the seat back of that chair in front of you? You can just give that to her uh, on, on your way out today. Also, for those in line uh, watching online, right now. We have a gift for you we'd love to give you. They're posting a connect card right now in the comments, uh, and they would love to give you, a, we'd love to send you a gift for uh, letting us have some, have some time together with you. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone that's new with us and everyone online, let them know how grateful we are to share this time with them. Yeah. 
Now, we have started this journey as a church family that we are calling Unshakable. And this is a, sea, a season of life that we are building an unshakable faith. And here's this unshakable big idea. Are you ready, Westside? Let's say this together. If you're new with this, you're going to catch on real fast. We'll give it an opportunity for we, us all to do together. Here we go. In Christ, we are unshakable. Hey, online, let's do it too. Let's do it one more time. Everybody new with us, you know what to say now. You can say unshakable. In Christ, we are unshakable. And if you haven't been given your unshakable guide, and if you're new with us, we'd love to give you this unshakable guide. It's a folder that tells a little bit more about this journey we are on, and it's a place that you can put your notes that you received today. Online, you can visit unshakable.faith. You can go to unshakable.faith, and you can get all that uh, resources there, and all the resources for this unshakable journey uh, are posted there as well for everyone here. Uh, And so I want you to go, if you don't have that unshakable guide, at the welcome table, you can get an unshakable guide before you go today. Now, I want to remind us of what our primary goal is in this unshakable season. Our primary goal is this. Our goal is 100% engagement. And what that means is we want every Westsider to take a next step in faith and generosity so we can build an unshakable faith. So each of us can build an unshakable faith and together we can release God's unshakable love. We're making a commitment and we want everyone to commit to grow in their faith by making a commitment to grow in their generosity or to become generous. Our faith and our generosity are linked together. Your spiritual maturity is linked to your generosity. And I want to just take a moment right now and recognize those who came to our advanced commitment night last this past Friday night. Uh, you came to this advanced commitment night and I am so grateful for you coming. You let out in a beautiful way and you were the first to lead us as a church family to take your next step in growing and building an unshakable faith and stepping into what God is calling you to do uh, in your generosity. And uh, I want to remind all of us, as a reminder, that commitment card that's inside of that unshakable guide is a tool for you to use, for God to uh, speak to you, and, and for you to just listen and prayerfully listen to God's spirit, speak to your conscience for what he would have you to do to grow in your faith as you stretch in your generosity or you begin to become generous. And I want to let you know about a couple important dates. The first is this, next Sunday, November 13th, our kids are going to have a commitment Sunday. They're going to lead the way as the, the first big group of people to lead the way for us. And next today, every one of our kids are receiving this kids' commitment card. And this is an opportunity for us as parents and for us as grandparents, whoever you brought today, um, they're going to come home and you can talk to them about this. This is right sized for them. And this is something we want our kids to get involved in. And they're going to bring this back next Sunday. You're not going to bring anything that they choose to be generous with next Sunday. You're just going to bring this commitment card back with you next Sunday and have your kids bring this with them next Sunday. So they're getting that there. Also, if you haven't received our parent guide, I encourage you to get the parent guide. This will help you and, and, and equip you to have those conversations with your kids. Also, if your student, a high school student, is involved in our high school services on Wednesday, a week from this Wednesday, uh, they're going to have their commitment night and they're going to be uh, getting a commitment card that's right-sized for them as well. And then on November 20th, 
every one of us together are going to come and we're going to just respond to what God's calling us to do. And it's just as simple as that. We're just going to call, respond, respond to his call of what he's calling us to do. And we're going to have a commitment Sunday on November 20th. We are believing that as we take this commitment to grow in our faith by stretching in our generosity or beginning to be uh, generous, uh, God is going to release his unshakable love through us in amazing ways. And I just want to pause and just pray right now that God opens our hearts and our minds and speaks to us about that. Father, um, everything we have and everything we are, we recognize it comes from you and it belongs to you. And we ask that you lead us May we be responsive to your Holy Spirit. We only want to do what you're speaking to our conscience to do. So stretch our faith. And for those of us who you're calling to stretch our generosity, we pray that you do so. And for those of us that you're calling in to be a, take a step of generosity, we pray that you do that. And may we respond to you so we can glorify you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, we've been looking in the book of Acts in this journey. And we've been looking at the book of Acts to see how God uh, started his unshakable church, which is an unshakable community that's pursuing God's unshakable mission, and he's empowered with an unshakable boldness. And we've been in this series, this book of Acts, and today we're going to jump into Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump straight there, and we're going to look at three different people today. Uh, First, we're going to look at Stephen, who had an unshakable faith, and you're going to see his unshakable faith. And what that did for the church at large in history is amazing. Second, Saul, we're going to see Saul, a next person. And Saul viewed Jesus as an enemy. And he didn't just view Jesus as an enemy. He saw the church as an enemy. And we're going to see that. And then third, we're going to see a man named Ananias. Ananias viewed Saul as an enemy and a threat. And so Luke first introduces um, the Stephen, which is the first of these three people that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 6, or Acts chapter 6, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6. And Stephen, we see in the first couple of verses here, is introduced as one of the first deacons who were appointed to care for the church family at large. And then in verse 8, we read more about Stephen. Luke writes, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose. However, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against his wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Now, just a note here. Just as we read in verse 9, opposition arose. I just want you to know, any time that we step out in faith, we're going to likely see resistance and opposition when we do that. I just want you to know that's coming. It happened with Stephen, and this is, describes what happens when we do this. And, and here, the religious courts, what they do is they bring in false witnesses. We read, we continue to read, they bring in false witnesses. They accuse Stephen, and then they ask Stephen if this, these accusations are true. And so Stephen replies uh, in a very remarkable way, and the Holy Spirit inspires Stephen with this epic sermon an epic sermon that begins with the father of Israel, which is Abraham himself. And at the end of his recount of Israel's history, 
Stephen says these words because he gets up all the way to the account of how King David was in charge and he was going to build a temple. But he enables King Solomon, his son, to build that temple. And then he says this in verse 47, but it was Solomon who built a house for him, being a house for God. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. And the irony here is, is they're likely standing in or outside in the temples, in the court of this massive temple that Herod built. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And then Stephen looks at them after quoting this passage of scripture from one of the Old Testament prophets. He looks at these religious leaders, these authorities that represent the authority of God, the authority of the temple that represents God. And he looks at them and says something I don't think is a really wise thing to say, but he was inspired and emboldened by the Holy Spirit. You stiff-necked people. You know what stiff-necked means? Stubborn. You stubborn people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about this. Stephen is accusing the authorities of the temple for not submitting to the authority of God, which is who the temple represents. See, one cannot represent God when one resists God. You stiff-necked people. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through his angels, but have not obeyed it. See, he was pointing out that Jesus was the righteous one that the law pointed to, and they didn't just see Jesus, they resisted Jesus, and they killed Jesus. Because Jesus was a threat to their control. Jesus was a threat to them as, as leaders. Jesus was reinterpreting in their minds something that wasn't, should be interpreted that way. And he had no authority to do that. See, that authority only comes from God. They didn't recognize that Jesus was God. You know, here's the reality. is we resist those who we don't want to control us. And they didn't want Jesus to control them. And people have resisted the Holy Spirit because they don't want God to have control over them. And that's what Stephen is telling this group of people and this, these religious leaders. God has all control and all authority. That's why the earth is his throne, I mean the footstool, and heaven is his throne. And he tells them, you've resisted God's spirit and have not surrendered to his authority because you rejected Jesus as Lord. And that didn't go over so well. In verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. This is a place of authority. 
And look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Son of Man was a title that the prophet Daniel prophesied the Messiah to be the Son of Man who would establish God's kingdom. Jesus is the Son of Man with all the authority of God. He's Lord. At this they covered their ears. They couldn't hear, listen anymore. And yelling at the top of their lungs to, to ignore what Stephen was saying, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him to the, out of the city, and began to stone him. Because that's what you do according to the Old Testament law. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. I just want to point out something. See, in this, what Stephen saw of Jesus is so true. Jesus is at the right hand of God because Jesus has the full authority of God. That's who he is. He is fully God, and he is the full authority of God. And they killed Stephen because they didn't want Jesus to be Lord. Stephen was killed for his unshakable faith because he was unshakable in his own surrender to Jesus as Lord. Even in opposition, even in the face of losing his life, Stephen was unshakable in his surrender to Jesus as Lord. He had an unshakable faith. And we read that those who stoned him laid their coats at the feet of a young man Named Saul. Now, Saul, he also viewed Jesus as the enemy. Saul didn't, he, he, he was not surrendered to Jesus as Lord. He, like all the other Pharisees, were in opposition. In fact, this might mean that they laid his feet there, that he was maybe the authority present at that time. That could have been the case. See, Saul didn't see Jesus as Lord. Saul perceived Jesus and the followers of Jesus as the enemy. Saul thought Jesus and his church were taking control, and he didn't like the fact that the church was taking people from the Jewish community and, and, and worshiping in the temple to follow a rogue rabbi named Jesus. So they thought, Saul thought, they were the enemy because they were following Jesus. And he thought Jesus was the enemy. That is until Saul had his own personal encounter with Jesus. And he personally encountered a power that was greater and an authority that was greater than his. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, we read, Meanwhile, Luke writes, Saul was still, look at this, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then look what Saul and how Saul replies. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? Here he recognizes this is a greater authority. 
This is obviously a greater power. And the only response is to say, I don't know who you are, but I know you are Lord. So who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, Paul is, Saul receives this um, command from Jesus. Go, get, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I just want to pause right here. What do you do when you encounter an authority stronger than you? Reality is you have two options. One, you can resist, or two, you can surrender. You can resist, or you can surrender. One will likely not go well with you because you don't have the power if you resist. And one could be life-giving for you if you surrender. So we see what Saul does. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. We see what they do as well. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So mind you, Saul, who was breathing out murderous threats, is now being led by those who helped him persecute the church and breathe out those murderous threats. Yet now they've encountered a greater authority, Jesus himself, who is resurrected from the dead. And they know who he is now, and they immediately obey. They surrender. They don't resist. And, and, and they surrender the one who has authority over death itself. Saul had an encounter with a resurrected Jesus who is the greater authority that transformed Saul when Saul surrendered to Jesus. See, when you encounter the power of life and you surrender to it, it transforms you. And Paul, Saul here is a testimony that the reason I say Paul is later we find out that, that Luke writes as him as Paul. And, and it's likely that Paul was his Greek name that was, he used when he would travel throughout the, the provinces that he would go through. Now Saul here in this moment and, and those with him obey Jesus' command. They go into the city and they wait for further instructions. And upon arriving the city, Saul meets our third person, Ananias. In, in verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judah on Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, this is funny to me because I bet Ananias was okay with everything until he heard the name. Because he knew who Saul was. In fact, we read about that. Lord, Ananias answers. Now I'm putting the tremble in the voice. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And if I need to remind you, this is not in the text, this is me implying this. If I need to remind you, uh, Jesus, Lord, um, I am one who calls on your name. So 
to show up before him, I'm putting myself in the place of a threat right here. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So now Ananias, he has his encounter with the greater authority, Jesus. Now, will he resist Jesus' authority or will he surrender to Jesus' authority? Verse 17, we read, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. You don't know how much boldness this took. He was afraid of Saul getting his hands on him. And he puts his hands on Saul. And he placing his hands on Saul, he says, brother, you are no longer an enemy. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales scales fell from his Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Three amazing stories of people fully surrendering to Jesus because he is the greater authority. Ananias, we read he surrendered his fears. He surrendered his prejudices about Saul. He even surrendered his life because he knew that could be the end game. He surrendered to this. Saul surrendered his past to Jesus. He he surrendered his wrong beliefs because he believed Jesus wasn't God. He was wrong in his beliefs, but when he saw Jesus, he surrendered his wrong beliefs. And he even surrendered his violence. No longer would Saul utilize violence to advance God's mission. He would utilize the power of God's love. And then Stephen surrendered his life. And what Stephen, because Stephen surrendered his life, Saul came to Christ in this. God used Stephen in a remarkable way. Each of them had an unshakable faith because they were fully surrendered to Jesus as their Lord, in spite of their fears, in spite of what they believed, in spite and even at the cost of their very own life. Because they're surrendered to Jesus and the Lordship of Jesus, the spiritual landscape of the world has changed. Through them, God allowed them to be used to change a spiritual landscape of the world. The Holy Spirit would lead Saul, also known as Paul, to, and, 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 and he would send him out to plant churches all in this Greek world. He would be put before kings like King Agrippa. And he would have this opportunity. The Holy Spirit would then enable and empower Saul to write these letters that have been preserved according to the power of the Holy Spirit throughout all time. And this makes up two-thirds of our New Testament. And one of the men that would travel with Paul or Saul Saul, one of his traveling companions, would be Luke, who would write this account after he wrote the account of the gospel of Luke that we call. God does unimaginable things with a life that's fully surrendered to him. Think about it. God does unimaginable things. Who would have imagined that? They didn't. And he used them because they were fully surrendered to him. 
Here's the teaching big idea that I want for you. I want you to have this. I will have an unshakable faith when I am fully surrendered to Jesus as my Lord. See, an unshakable faith comes through fully surrendering to Jesus. Your faith cannot be unshakable unless you are fully surrendered to him as your Lord. God wants to do unimaginable things through you, and he wants to do them in you. But you must fully be surrendered to him as Lord. So I want to ask a challenging question. What in your life is not fully surrendered to Jesus? What is it in your life that you haven't fully submitted to the authority and the lordship of your God, of Jesus. You've let Jesus maybe have certain areas of your life, but there's this one area that you haven't let him go into. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something else. What is it that, 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 that maybe it's your finances. Maybe, maybe it's a career. Maybe it's something else that you just, God, you can have control of everything else, but this right here, I'm just letting you know, I'm gonna hold on because I want control. I want control. You let Jesus have that control of other areas, but this one right here, I'm not going to let you have control. Well, maybe I should ask it this way. (laughs) What are you fighting Jesus for control of in your life? What is it? What are you fighting Jesus for control of in your life? What is the area where you need to stop fighting to win control. You're fighting Jesus to win control. What is that? Where are you fighting God? Because you want to win control of that and you're not willing to surrender that to him. Where do you need need to give up fighting? You need to give up fighting Jesus because you don't want to lose control and trust and surrender to his control. Uh, You got a blank on your sheet and I want you to write this down. I want you to just write it down. What is it in your life? Maybe he's bringing something up to your mind right now. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to your heart. I'm fighting Jesus for control of. What is it? Write write it down. Is it your marriage? Are you fighting Jesus for control of your marriage? And and you're not submitting to his way to love your wife or, or submitting to his way to love your husband as Christ has loved you? What about your finances? Is it your finances? Do you need to write that in? Do you not trust in God's way of putting Jesus first and his kingdom first with your finances? You know the interesting thing about our finances? And let me just speak to this real quick. The interesting thing is it seems to be the last thing that we give God control of in our lives. Yet, it is the one thing that controls most of our lives. We miss out on so much because we withhold an area of our lives that we want to control because we don't want Jesus to control it. Is there a relationship that you know is not honoring God, but you want to have control of that relationship? And to trust God means you're going to lose control of where that relationship goes. Do you not trust in forgiving someone and that by withholding Forgiveness. This is your way to control that part of the relationship. And because Christ, God loves you so much, and through Christ, he's forgiven you. He's just asking you to 
forgive and let him control this? What is it? See, we, why do we fight God? Why do we fight him for control in our lives? We fight him because we want control and whatever we take control of, you know what you're telling God? I don't trust in your control. I don't trust in your control. But the reality is we can trust in his control of our lives. We can trust in his control of every part of our life because our God is a good God who loves us. Jesus' life, he himself, and what he suffered and died, and because he rose again, you can trust that your God is a good God. And he wants to invite you to surrender to him as Lord. And when you surrender to him as Lord, he can bring his life into whatever situation that you are in. And we don't have to look any further than Jesus to see that we can trust in God's control of every part of our lives. And our response to his goodness is to willfully submit to his authority. So we will willfully submit to Jesus as our Lord because we trust in his goodness he is truly life. That trust is unshakable. That's an unshakable faith because of the resurrection of Jesus proves that goodness and the love of God. He is not an enemy that we need to not trust in his control. He is an enemy that you do not need to fear his control of your life. He's a good shepherd who wants you to surrender your life to him as your Lord. Maybe you need to surrender to Jesus today. Maybe you need to surrender for the first time today. Or maybe you need to surrender for the first time in a long time today. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Now, here are two things, two warnings real quickly. First is this. is when you surrender to Jesus, there will be opposition. There will always be opposition. You will face resistance. There will be naysayers. There will be circumstances that come your way. There will be difficulties that come to do its best to distract you from surrendering willfully to Jesus and fully to him. Just know it's coming. And know this too. It's a warning. God cannot bless or transform what you don't surrender to him. He cannot change what I don't fully surrender to him. Whatever I withhold from surrendering to him is where, I, is where I'm saying, whatever I withhold is say, God, I don't, I don't wanna experience your life in this. I can't expect God to bless my finances when I withhold that from him. I can't expect God to bless a relationship when I withhold that from him. I can't respect, expect God to bless an area of my life that I'm withholding from submitting to him as my Lord. This is why many marriages suffer. It's because we're not fully submitted to Jesus giving him that authority in our life. See, here's the thing. When you surrender to Jesus, you don't lose that's a lie. See, as I surrender to Jesus as my Lord, I experience true life. And others will experience Christ's life-giving love through me. We don't lose. We don't lose when we lose control to Jesus. So when you surrender to Jesus as your Lord, because you trust in him, you gain his life. And today we're going to do something as we end the service.
we're going to do two things. In a moment, we're going to have communion together. And if this is something that, that you've never, it's your first time or the first time in a long time to surrender to Jesus, this is what I'd love for you to do. As your active response, you're going to tell God, I'm coming to you and I'm fully surrendering to you as my Lord and Savior. I invite you to participate in communion with us here in a moment. Communion represents what Jesus did in the perfect life he lived and the death he died to pay for the penalty for all our sins and that he rose again from the dead and we can fully trust in his lordship of our life and that you can make as your response to God today and join us in communion. But first, we're gonna pray with one another. And this is the bold thing. We did this several weeks ago. But we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna ask you to pray. And what you wrote on your paper with the person next to you or close to you, two or three, just say, will you pray that I surrender this to Jesus? Because I'm fighting Jesus for control of. And you can just read it. I'm fighting Jesus for control of. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an area of your life. And if you don't feel comfortable saying that, you, you can say, will you just pray that I'm fully surrendered to Jesus? And this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray with one another. I want to tell you how I want you to pray, just to keep it simple. Jesus, help my friend. Help my wife, help my son, help my daughter, help my neighbor, help my friend fully surrender this to you. Can we do that together? Online, we encourage you to do this. I want you to stand with me. Will you do that right now? Let's, let's stand together. This is bold. I want us to pray with one another. And, and this might be an act of confession for you. If you don't feel like this is, this is a little too stretched, just say, will you please pray that I'm fully surrendered to Jesus? And then pray right there with one another. After you share with one another, pray right now there. And then whenever you're done, just feel free to begin to come down and get your communion. Hold on to it and we'll take it all together. Why don't you find a couple people, just turn to the person next to you. Let's do it online if you'll do the same. I'm fighting Jesus for control of. You just say that or say, please help me pray that I'm fully surrendered to Jesus. And then take a moment and pray with one another.